0: this week on the Backtable Podcast. In healthcare, what we tend to do is we punish the people. We punish the doctors. We punish the nurses. But we don't punish the machines. When you when you ask your IT department, hey, can you do this for me? And they say, oh, no, 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 we can't touch that. We don't, you know. They try to be very protective of very pampering the machines, uh, practically. I say beat them, you know. I say get the most work out of them, you know. there's There's no reason why we should not be doing that. Instead, we are punishing the doctors to do, oh, you got to see more, more patients or, 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 you know, you got to do more work. You, know, you got to do more documentation. Why can't the machines do that? Why are we doing that?
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Innovation Podcast. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is our next installment in the Backtable Innovation Show, where you will hear stories from physician entrepreneurs who are helping to drive healthcare forward through medtech innovation. Today, we have a very special episode. I have Dr. Yuli Chetapali. Dr. Chetapali is an emergency physician, innovator, startup founder, and author. He is the founder of Sirica Therapeutics, a startup developing a therapeutic device for autism using robotics and virtual reality. We're going to get into that. Yuli is also the founder of Innovator MD, the largest community for physician innovators, and it's clear he's passionate about you know delivering artificial intelligence-enabled solutions to physicians to improve patient outcomes. Yuli, Leah Houston introduced us. Uh, I know she's been a part of Innovator MD. She was, I think, she's on faculty for some of the prior conferences. She was on episode 11 talking about blockchain technology and her startup HPEC. Welcome, Yuli. Thanks for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank you Aaron for having me on Back Table. You know, it's a pleasure
0: to be speaking with you today.
1: So, I know currently you're visiting family in Chicago, but maybe tell the audience where you reside and where you've been and tell us a little bit about like your clinical practice. Are you still practicing clinical medicine or have you gone to full-time
0: innovator/entrepreneur? So, I I live in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area and I've been there for the last 30 years. Most of my practice has been with Kaiser Permanente most of my career. And uh, that's where I got into the technology side and the research side. I'm an emergency physician, but uh, also an epidemiologist. So I was on the administration track, helping with the administration, running the department. But my most favorite part of that job was being a researcher and an innovator where I built a technology platform for emergency physicians at Kaiser. And about three years ago, I got out of uh, that job, and uh, now I'm a full-time innovator and entrepreneur. Great. So, yeah, so let's talk about, originally, I, I, you know, Leah introduced
1: us about Innovator MD, but then I found out more about Sirica, and, and you told me, like, that's what you're really passionate about right now, and that's what you really want to talk about on the show. As I mentioned before, I went back and listened to some of your prior presentations about Sirica. It basically just launched in, in December 2021, correct? That's correct.
0: So the good thing about uh, Innovator MD is that I get to see a lot of innovations. So I have the front row seat uh, to what's happening in the industry and uh, where people are coming from and that's where I picked up this uh, device, a robotic device and uh, that's when I got into it and helped them create the platform and also spun off Cerica Therapeutics uh, in December. So you're talking about Torque 3 is that what you're talking about? Exactly. So I worked with Talk 3 for a couple of years, and I was the chief medical officer. And uh, when I said, okay, you know, this is ready for prime time, that's when they said, okay, go ahead and take it away. And so I licensed the technology to be able to develop it as a therapeutic tool for autism.
1: Okay. So before we talk about what that device really truly does... I want you to share a bit about your your daughter and the inspiration behind Circa,
0: as much as you're willing to share. Yes. I'm sure our audience would love to hear the story. Of course. My daughter, Siri, she is uh, 29 years old and uh, she has autism. She has, uh, I would say, mild to moderate level of autism. And, you know, living with autism is a very, very different experience as far as a parent is concerned especially since I'm in the technology field and healthcare field, that's even perplexing because it's a very complicated, complex problem. And uh, we've been looking for solutions for a long time. And uh, one of the things we realized is that when we started her in an exercise program, which was pretty intense, you know, including circuit training and weightlifting, aerobics and boxing and things like that, what we have seen is that Her anxiety levels came down, her focus improved, and uh, she was performing a lot better in her day-to-day lives and also being able to do the things that she wanted to do. By the way, she does have a business, online business, Designs by Siri, where she makes uh, jewelry. And so once we saw that, you know, I was looking for a solution that can actually replicate that in a machine. And that's what Circa Therapeutics uh, happens to be we saw that her anxiety level came down so much that we had to, you know, wean her off of her anxiety medicines. She lost about 30 pounds because uh, she was not anxious and she was not overeating because of anxiety. And so I thought, you know, how can we put this benefit into a, into a machine or into a bottle, so to say.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a family navigating the treatments of of autism and maybe the challenges from a father cuz you know this is all you developed this all in the last you know 5 years but what about when she was younger and you know can you inform the audience and myself what are the available therapies for autism and maybe what were the challenges for you guys as a family sure
0: so at the time Siri was diagnosed we had to actually wait for the diagnosis they said you have to wait until she's 3 years old I mean, I knew there was something wrong very early on, within a few weeks of her birth. But we had to wait because at that time, healthcare science was not advanced enough where you could diagnose somebody with autism early enough. And so they had to wait to see if she will develop speech or if she would develop into a regular kid. But that did not happen, so we had to go there. So that was very frustrating for me, number one, you know, the diagnosis piece. And then the treatment part, there was not many choices. And the mainstay of treatment right now is ABA therapy. It's it's called Applied Behavioral Analysis, which is a kind of a behavior therapy, but it takes a lot of time and effort, which is one-on-one treatment, 25 to 30, so even 40 hours a week, and it's, it's very painful for the patient. And of course, for the parents, it's very frustrating. And uh, there's not much evidence. There is a little bit of evidence that it helps, but it's not a, something that, that is a great treatment, but that's probably the mainstay where the insurance will reimburse you for getting that treatment. And the other treatments, you know, like speech therapy and occupational therapy are very minimally effective, I would say. And that, so that was very frustrating for me, especially as a physician and also a researcher trying to understand, you know, what is the most effective treatment?
1: Yeah, I'm sure given your background, you did a pretty deep dive into autism from diverse diagnosis, even just suspecting it as a diagnosis as a father. And so to hear you come out with those frustrations and the, those challenges and pain points, I mean, I, I imagine that's a very strong motivator to help kind of develop something on your own. Was there anything else throughout her therapy as a child, as an adolescent, that you found to be effective? You mentioned the, the exercise that seemed to, to help her. Was there
0: anything else that seemed to help her, like video games or anything like that? So one of the things that we noticed or we tried to push as parents was that trying to keep her environment as natural as possible. One of the things that these kids become very sensitive to sounds and sensitive to, you know, certain stimuli. And we try to push her more into the mainstream and also not necessarily give her this, you know, keep her in a cocoon. And so what we noticed is that eventually she developed tolerance for, although it was very hard, very painful, she developed tolerance uh, and we are now able to treat her like a regular person. We know that she's very smart, but because of her communication deficits, she cannot communicate that. So we were trying various ways of trying to get her to communicate. And, you know, that's, that's a big frustration also. And during her puberty and the, and the teenage years, it was very hard for her because, you know, you, you get the usual teenage angst plus autism, you know, that becomes very frustrating. And, you know, we had some uh, behaviors which were very hard to control. And that's the, that's when the medications came in, but medications is not the solution because what you're doing is you're just numbing the whole, the whole experience as a human being. And so, that's what actually led to this quest.
1: Yeah, you want to find a good alternative to medications for sure. I imagine the autism community amongst parents and patients themselves, is it a tight-knit community? Is it, are you guys sharing ideas and things that work and challenges and frustrations amongst the community?
0: Yes, definitely, because uh, it's a large community. You know, as you know, it is right now the number one developmental, neurodevelopmental disability It has overtaken all the other disabilities. So the community is huge. And uh, obviously there are groups where they are proponents of a certain type of treatment, certain type of therapy. Whenever there is a condition which does not have a solid treatment, that's when you see all these other things pop up, which may or may not be effective. And also there's a lot of quackery that happens with the conditions like this people proposing different things because parents are desperate parents are desperate for a solution
1: yeah and that's got to be as a physician again and researcher frustrating to watch and see people kind of hand over money and waste time and energy and even undergo you know painful treatments that are not effective so i imagine though you know you had your own experiences but also there's this big community of people sharing these stories these challenges were you able to draw on some other families' experiences to help you in your own design
0: with Sirica? Yes. So one of the things that I did initially was uh, to get into these communities and and become part of those communities, especially the parent communities, and also the Autism Society of America, where uh, you know I was on the board at the San Francisco chapter. So. Well, one of the ways is to try to understand the problem and the the depth of the problem. It was devastating for me to see that. You know, we were fortunate that Siri was in a moderate range for autism. And if you see some of these kids who are severely affected, where they are, you know, self-destructive and are hurting themselves, and it is very frustrating for the parents to go through that experience. Yeah, I imagine. So let's talk a little
1: bit about the different components of the Sirica program, the the actual therapy itself. You have virtual reality, advanced robotics and machine learning. I want you to tell us a little bit about how those all work together and how did you formulate those into this therapy?
0: So if you think about autism, you know, mostly people are thinking about it as a deficit in the brain, which is true. You know, there is a deficit where they are not able to communicate, but also there is a deficit on the motor side. Motor side is where we use our muscles and body. And, you know, the hypothesis that we came up with is that if you can challenge the physical side and the mental side together, that works a lot better in mitigating the symptoms. So that's our hypothesis, right? So how do you combine a physical exercise with a mental exercise? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have seen instances where kids who are actually physically active are able to control the symptoms and also decrease their hyperactivity, decrease their aggressiveness. But getting a person to exercise, a person with autism to exercise is a big challenge because, you know, you cannot just go to the gym and do it because you, know, you need a therapist, you need a couple of people to handle any difficult situation if it happens, right? And then keeping that motivation going is also harder because you need somebody to keep pushing. So then we, we thought, okay, what if we can create a video game or a program where you are doing that mental challenge, but also tie that into a physical challenge? So if you combine the two in a virtuous cycle, that's where we feel that that has the best benefit from both physical exercise and also the mental exercise. And that's the basis for the therapy that we designed. We call it cognitive sensory motor therapy. Very interesting. So, the components are for the physical exercise, you need an exercise machine, but also you need a machine that responds to the person that is exercising. So, it sees where they're good at, where they're having a challenge or difficulty, because a lot of kids with autism have motor challenges. And so you want the machine to help them where they are having a challenge and also be able to challenge them where they're good at. So in a way, kind of understanding each person's capacity and capabilities. And so to solve that problem, what we'd said was, oh, what if it was a robot? The exercise machine itself is a robot and it is understanding where you're putting the effort and where you need help. And so fine tuning that difficulty based on the patient's performance. So that's the first piece. It's an advanced robotics machine. Number two is this component of in a mental challenge. So what if we created a video game and you have the patient go through those challenges within the video game? now as you're exercising so the exercise machine actually is a vehicle inside the video game so you're riding a vehicle inside the video game so you're physically moving it because you steer with your arms and you pedal with your legs and that resistance is totally controllable through software and then the third piece is the vr goggles so When you put on the VR goggles, you are placed in this video game environment, which is virtual. So there is this portion of deep immersion. So you are taken out of the current physical environment and placed in this deep immersive environment. So the reason why that is important for autism is that a lot of people with autism, they get distracted with the environment. You know, just the noise, buzzing noise of the air conditioning or the flickering of the light, fluorescent light, just like your microphone, which is very sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) They are a hundred times more sensitive than that. And so every little thing, you know, bothers them. So what if we totally control the environment, put them in this virtual space, and then that space becomes pristine and the challenge is right there. So they can feel that they are inside this environment, inside the video game environment, where they are riding this vehicle and then as the vehicle is going through different sceneries and you know we can create as beautiful scenery as possible you know based on patient's preferences because it's all software right once you control the software then you can increase the challenge you know so the machine responds to the environment in the video game say let's say you're going uphill so it'll tilt upwards you're going downhill so your body actually so it has 6 degrees of freedom and so it moves within the environment but also physically it moves so your body can feel the what we call haptic feedback so if you go over a bump you actually feel like you're going over a bump if you if the road is rough you can see, you can feel the the vibrations within the machine and then with headphones you can hear the sounds you know of that environment We can even add the smells of that environment. You can add the wind. You know, when you're going fast, you know, the wind becomes, hits your face. And so you're you're totally taken out of this world, you know, virtually. It's completely virtual. Completely virtual. And so then you can see that they're really focused. They're really focused on the task ahead. And so the hypothesis that we have is that When you place people in these kinds of environments with these kinds of mental and physical challenges, what happens is that a new neural pathway is created, which is what we call neuroplasticity. So when new neural pathways are created, that means your brain is developing into these areas and you're learning these other skills. We feel that that is what is lacking in autism. And when you add that, that helps control some of these symptoms. And so we are very excited about this technology. It's incredibly exciting. I have so many questions (laughs) because
1: it just sounds, and uh, apologies to the audience because this is purely audio podcast, but if you get a chance, just type Yuli's name into YouTube because you will come across one of these videos where it shows Siri riding this prototype and you can kind of see what she's seeing a little bit. And it, it really is fascinating to watch. You can tell she's having a great time. She's enjoying it. And she's hyper focused yeah. on the task.
0: And remember, oh, by the way, you can type a uh, Sirica Therapeutics demo video. But remember, that was the first time she tried the machine. That That's the prototype. You know, that's the first time that she ever tried and she loved it. And she said she wanted to do again. <laughs> and so it's not only a therapeutic option, but also it's enjoyable. It is fun for kids to try. So Is the headset like
1: similar to an Oculus headset? Yeah. Or is it something you guys have created on your own? No,
0: it's a generic, it's a similar.
1: Very similar, okay. My other question was, do kids with autism have a hard time wearing headsets because it is
0: something that's on their head or do you have to kind of ease them into that? Yes. Some kids have have a problem, but many of them actually use headsets, especially, uh, you know, the... Over the year, headphones mainly because they cannot take the sounds in the environment, and so ah gotcha. So
1: they're already used to wearing some sort of head set gear. Okay, interesting.
0: And some kids maybe 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 sensitive. Definitely, you know, I'm I'm not ruling that out. But I think once they realize how much fun this is and they might actually enjoy wearing it. I question going back to the physical
1: activity and how it seems like that helps with reducing anxiety. Have there been any studies that you've seen in your research that show that maybe kids with autism who are athletes, it helps curb their symptoms? Is there anything
0: out there that demonstrates that? Definitely. Various, you know, there is research on the physical exercise piece. There's research on the VR piece. And what we're trying to do is we are trying to combine all of those, yeah. Because we know that exercise is definitely beneficial uh, in reducing symptoms, but, you know, how do you motivate them to keep exercising? You know, that's where the VR and the video gaming comes into play.
1: Yeah, and, and it's brilliant you were able to bring Torque 3 in to basically build this thing for you. And it's, right now, it's sort of like a bicycle, right? Or would you crawl the actual machine that, because it's, it's kind of like one of those, you're pedaling with your legs. Is it, does it have a name for it? No,
0: uh, <laughs> not yet, I guess. Okay, yeah. So if you think about it, there are these platforms like Wii and Xbox, right? You know, they have these controllers. It's basically a controller, but with the physical exercise component and, you know, everything built in into a system. And so it's a, it's a very complex machine. It looks very simple uh, when you look at it, but it's a very, you know, technologically, it's very advanced. Oh, I'm sure. Advanced. I'm sure. And with the sensory
1: feedback and the machine learning, I mean, that's the key component, right? It's, it's, exactly. that's, that's the brilliant part about it that I like is that because you're what, you know, that these kids are highly sensitive and you can tailor what they're feeling based off their own feedback,
0: right? So it's like a feedback loop. Exactly. And then take, Each session is capturing about thousands of data points for each patient. And so you can really customize the program using machine learning. Is
1: it monitoring their feeling in some way or is it just take sort of their motion and what are the inputs
0: on on what they're putting out? Sure. So the movements, number one, you know, at, at every joint, all the big joints, you know, the shoulder, elbow, knee, hip, but also... How much pressure are they putting? You know, how much effort are they putting? And when you combine that with the data points from the video game, you know, we can measure the responses, right? You know, how quickly are their reflexes? How good are they at turning? How good are they at assessing slowing down or speeding up based on the virtual environment? You know, let's say you're going on a bridge. You have to balance the vehicle so that it stays on this narrow path. Otherwise, you'll fall into the river. And so how good are they at making those decisions on going on winding paths versus narrow paths, or sudden turns, all those things go into the data that we are collecting. That's
1: very cool. So it's like constantly kind of challenging them, letting them maybe fail a little bit, and then correcting them. And yeah, that's really cool to help with that neuroplasticity. And then
0: when you combine that with how they're responding in the real world, are they sleeping better? Is their uh, you know hyperactivity decreased? Is their focus better? And as we go along, you know we can continuously keep it challenging enough, and therapeutic benefits that come out of it. So we know you
1: teamed up with Torx Three and any other companies or institutions that you teamed up with on
0: this project. Yeah. So some of our advisors. You know, one of our advisors is a professor at Stanford. And so he's designing the studies, helping us figure out, okay, what are the things that we need to actually track to be number one, you know, first we have to, you know, make sure it is uh, safe and uh, usable for the user. So we're going to do a a study starting in July, August, testing uh, a few individuals there, but also we want to make sure that it has a benefit, right? So is it effective? You know, how often do you have to do this? How long do you have to do this? and what exactly are the stimuli that need to be incorporated into the design of the machine? And what are the benefits out of that? And so to be able to measure those, because we want to be able to show and build that evidence on what works and what doesn't work with this machine.
1: Yeah, so uh, along those lines, assuming that it's safe and usable, user-friendly, there's a benefit, how do you envision this being used in practice would it be strictly for practitioners
0: or available directly to families so you know obviously initially the cost of the machine is a factor so the initial phase we'll be installing this in practices clinics where they're already seeing these patients so we think that this will be a great adjunct to the current therapy where let's say patients can come in you know spend half an hour on the machine and maybe doing another half an hour or an hour of the other therapy that they're doing. And so we expect that this will be part of those clinics. And as we develop evidence and as we build more on the science side of it, and plus, as everything else in technology, the cost of building it becomes cheaper as we build more machines and as time goes on. And so We do expect that eventually there'll be a market for us in the homes where people can buy or lease the machine and have it in in their homes so that that becomes part of their daily schedule where they're using this at home. And uh, by that time, the cost will come down. It'll become lighter, smaller, and also be able to be used for younger children.
1: Yeah, it'd be like a Peloton, right? Exactly. (laughs) We're like early days Peloton here, yeah. That's great. You know, so it sounds like there's a big market size for this given we already talked about the prevalence of autism and the autism spectrum. Do you have any competitors, other, you know, anybody else that's doing anything like this in the field that
0: you know of? Not that I know of, but here's the thing. People are trying these various things. You know, they're trying VR, just the VR piece as a an educational tool but this is this is not that this is not education this is something totally different they're using robots as uh, coaches or or companions but this is not that they're using ai to be able to diagnose and to be able to direct treatment methods but that is part of it but what we are doing is a totally different combination of things and, and also we think that this will be a new therapeutic modality that is not there yet.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you're taking kind of what you've seen work as a physician, as a father, as a researcher, and combine them all into a single therapeutic, which, which is obviously very challenging because you have multiple moving parts, right? Very challenging. A lot of things to measure here. So, Yuli, I want to talk a little bit about the funding this project. Has it just been friends and family? have you opened it up to outside investors? Has it been just angel investors or physician investors? Can you tell us a little bit about funding and any challenges or
0: any skeptics you've come across in your raising? Sure. So initially we started funding it ourselves, basically myself and my wife. And then once we had enough research, enough evidence that, okay, this might work, that's when we opened it up for Friends and family, and and you know some of the physician friends that I know of, they are investing in our pre-seed round right now. So, by the way, you know it is open; the round is open, and uh, we are taking the pre-seed money. Is our minimum? Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty thousand is is the minimum. We are raising about eight hundred, so we have come about halfway there. So, one of the challenges, obviously, is is the environment. You know, right now, you know the market is down, so angel investors are, are a little scared. And the other challenge is, one of the questions I, I, I get asked is, you know, oh yeah, this is a lot of, it's a complex thing, right? Hardware, software, you know, gaming. Well, I tell people that, you know, we are not a hardware company, but, you know, we are more in the, into the software side. So the hardware, as you can see, like any hardware, it is expensive when you first start. You know, remember how computers work? <laughs> when we first started, but by the time things are moving very fast in the technology field and, you know, every two years it'll cost half of what it was and uh, things will develop very fast. So yes, it is expensive, but we expect that, you know, the cost will come down dramatically over the years. The other question I get is, you know, really how big is this market? Well, it is the most common Developmental disability there is, and it is growing at a much faster rate than any other disability. So, right now, there's one in 44, according to CDC, one in 44 kids who are born, you know, they're diagnosed with autism, and that rate keeps increasing. Nobody knows why, and there are a lot of adults who don't have any services, you know. So, we calculate about, you know, seven or eight million people have this disability right now and it keeps increasing. It is very expensive to treat these, you know, persons, you know, insurance, insurance companies are, are feeling the burn, and uh, also the government services are feeling the, the difficulty.
1: Yeah, that's surprising, seven, eight million. I had no idea, but, you know, I think everybody knows somebody, a child with autism at this point, and it is alarming how the, the prevalence is increasing, and, it is. and we, have, we have no idea why. Well, it sounds, I mean, at least you're moving things in the right direction where we're kind of getting away from the way it's always been treated to let's get some new therapies out there to help these kids out. And it's great that Siri's able to participate and and help out with the
0: development and the prototype and everything. And, And it sounds like she's doing really well. She definitely is. You know, she's our inspiration. And as we see improvement in her, you know, that's what is driving us to say hey, can we get this benefit to everybody out there? Because there's a big need. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm excited
1: to kind of watch it develop. And yeah, to anybody out there who's interested in, in investing, what's the
0: best way for them to get a hold of you, Yuli? Really? Uh, the best way is uh, through my LinkedIn profile, or you can go to the website, ciricatherapeutics.com and there's a contact us button. You can do that. We'll include those links in the show notes
1: for those listening. So we've got about five minutes left. I just want to talk real quick about Innovator MD. When and how you started that and where it's at right now.
0: So the reason why I started Innovator MD is because physicians and other healthcare workers who are working on the front lines, they see problems very differently than others. And also their solutions are very unique. And some of them are worth spreading the ideas and, and how it's done. And that was the idea behind Innovator MD And physicians and other healthcare people, you know, they're busy and they don't have the time. They may not have the community or the connections. They may not have the knowledge on how to bring those innovations to the market. And that's why we created this platform to be able to not only teach them how to do it, but also resource them with the connections and people that actually can help them bring those innovations to the market. And so we do classes. We do 40 classes a year teaching people how to do it. And we do meetups and we do two big conferences. Our next conference is coming up in August, August 17th through 20th, uh, where we have a lot of physician innovators and other innovators coming in and talking about their innovations. Awesome. That's going to be in person this year, right? Yeah, in person, and and so it's going to be a hybrid conference
1: in San Francisco. Is this the first one that's back to in person, or have you guys had recent
0: ones? Uh, in the winter, in January, we tried it, but, no, <laughs> you know, the COVID was still pretty active. We tried a hybrid one, but I think, I think things are opening up slowly.
1: Yeah, Omicron was, like, in full effect in January, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's just... It's hard to plan these things now. You know, you never know when a new variant. I mean, yeah, it's just tough. I went to AUA with some urology friends a couple of weekends ago and a bunch of people came back from New Orleans with COVID. (laughs) Now, granted, it's mild. Yeah. It's a nuisance at this point, but nobody's still people don't want it because you still you gotta take time off work, right? But hopefully everybody's got the antibodies leading up into the summer because I know a lot of people are eager to travel this summer and uh, San Francisco, right? That's where it's going to be. That's right. That's right. Great place to go in August, for sure. Beautiful town. So the last thing I want to talk about, Yuli, is your recent book, Punish the Machine, The Promise of Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And for those of us docs who want to learn more about
0: AI and machine learning, what are good resources, including your book? Sure. So during my career and work at Kaiser, One of the things we decided to do as a team was, how can we take the data that is sitting in the EHRs and make it more useful? So, you know, when we treat patients in the emergency, you know, we see a patient and we're seeing this patient with chest pain, let's say, for example. Well, there have been 100,000 chest pain patients that came in in the last five years, right? If you look at the systems. What can we learn from those 100,000 patients that came before this particular patient? So what we did was we pulled those patients' data and figured out what happened to these patients and what were the characteristics of these patients that led them. And so we built this risk scoring mechanism where you can compare the current patient with one of those groups that are similar to this patient and what happened to them. And we were able to come up with decision support to help physicians make the right decisions. You know, okay, do I need to run more tests? Do I need to keep this patient in the hospital? Do I need to observe this patient? And so we were able to give them those decision support and we ran this clinical trials using this technology. And that's when I felt that, wow. And by the way, it it decreased the length of stay, it decreased the testing, it decreased hospitalizations and everybody did fine. And so that's when I realized the power of this technology. So I was the technology lead for, so I did a lot of research and self-learning about machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. And that's when I felt that, wow, there's so much we can do with this technology in healthcare because a lot of the work we do either is useless or sometimes dangerous for the patients and clearly not effective half of the time. So how can we pick the right things to do for these patients? And that was the inspiration uh, for me to write this book, Punish the Machine. In healthcare, what we tend to do is we punish the people. We punish the doctors, we punish the nurses, but we don't punish the machines. When you, when you, ask, your, <laughs> when you ask your IT department, hey, can you do this for me? And they say, oh, no, 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 we can't touch that. We don't, you know. They try to be very protective of very pampering the machines practically, right? Right. I say beat them, you know? I say I say get the most work out of them, you know? There's there's no reason why we should not be doing that. Instead, we are punishing the doctors to do, oh, you got to see more more patients or or, or you know, you got to do more work, or, you know, you got to do more documentation. Why can't the machines do that? Why are we doing that? And and that's the reason for the title. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it
1: reminds me of that scene in Office Space where they take the fax machine out and they beat it up with it. <laughs> I remember that. It reminds me of that. Yeah, punish the machine. Why are we getting punished
0: every day? Exactly. And then there's so much uh, potential in the technology uh, that we can we can squeeze out of you know more efficiencies and, and and better treatments for patients. Yeah. Well, I just finished
1: Deep Medicine by Eric Topol. Yeah. I'm sure you've gotten to probably meet and, and hang out with Eric out in San Francisco, but that was a great book. That's a great primer for those who are looking for more information. And then I think my next book is yours, Punish the Machine, because I,
0: I, I'm kind of on an AI kick right now. So I'm looking forward to it. I have a story about that. So I called up Eric and uh, I emailed him and said, hey, Eric, I'm writing a book. You know, this is the thesis. And uh, hey, I want you to write the foreword for it or you know, introduction to it. And uh, he responds, uh, sorry Yuli, I can't do that. I'm writing the same book. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he was writing Deep Medicine. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So that was funny.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to reading yours. Is it on Amazon? Yes, it's on Amazon. Do you know if there's an audiobook for it yet? How does that work, the whole audiobook thing? I don't think so. No. Do you have to have your publisher take care of that for you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm just always curious because there was another guy, uh, Naveen Goyo out of Columbus with Loud Capital. He just put his book out, Physician Underdog. And We were talking about the whole audiobook thing, and he was like, "You know, Aaron, I just wanted to read it myself," and I was like, "Oh, that's such that's a, a lot of work. Neat <laughs> concept. That's a lot of work. You're right. That's a lot of work. Versus just have somebody, or even maybe just a robot read it nowadays. Yeah, you know, maybe an actor um, with great voice read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matthew McConaughey. There you go." <laughs> well, Yuli, it's been a great time having you on. I appreciate you telling the story and telling us about your family and sharing all that. And it sounds like an amazing technology. I'm really I look forward to watching it develop and get out there on the market. And I really want to try and make it to Innovator MD. Yes, one of these times because it sounds like an amazing networking opportunity as well. It is. I know Leah talked a lot about it and, and what a great opportunity it is. So. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for
0: coming on the show. Hey, thank you very much, Aaron, And it's a great show and best wishes uh, for everything that you're doing to promote these physician innovators.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at backtable Innovation on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable Innovation is produced and hosted by Brian Hartley, Aaron Fritz, and Eric Gamwerker. Our audio team lead
0: is Karen Gannon, with
1: support from Caleb Hodson,
0: Josh McWhirter,
1: and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, with support from Ann Dang, social media and PR by Chi Deng and
0: Dana Parker.
1: Thanks again for listening.
0: See you again next week.